Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for the Drum, Chris Suckling. Purpose is a woolly term, but an agency's values are the bedrock on which the business is built. So to what extent are we talking the same language when we discuss our agency's priorities and purposes, and how do we ensure that our clients and employees are brought along on our journey? Well, in this episode of the Drum Network podcast, I'm joined by two of our agencies, Strawberry Frog and Manifesto, to take us through how they've built their agencies upon a singular set of values and how they maintain them as they bring new people along for the ride. I began by asking them to introduce themselves. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm Chip Walker. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at uh, Strawberry Frog, which is a sort of creative and brand agency uh, located in New York City. Uh, We work with a wide range of uh, clients in um, financial services like Prudential, for example, so a large client of ours, uh, with some hospital systems and just a a wide range of brands. And um, our sort of point of difference is uh, what we call movement marketing, Mm -hmm. which is the way that we help companies activate their higher purpose in the world. Very nice. And Rebecca? Yeah, hi. Um, really good to meet you, Chip and Chris. Um, I'm Rebecca, Rebecca Hull from Manifesto, a managing director. And Manifesto, we are sort of an 80-person digital experience agency. Um, so we offer a whole range of products and services from experience design to consultancy to technology. And I guess our our mission has always been to work with organisations that have some kind of um, mission or purpose to deliver good. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our focus and a lot of our client base comes from the not-for-profit sector, not exclusively. Um, we do work with commercials and we do work um, with private sector, but we're really looking to work with clients um, who are looking to deliver some sort of social impact back to the world. Nice. Fantastic. Well, something you both touched upon there to some extent is this idea of having a mission or of enabling the people you work with to kind of achieve their mission as well. So as we've seen over the past couple of years, agencies have to stand for something now. And the kind of the undifferentiated market means that you have to have that purpose to really stand out. But you both mentioned there that you are delivering value on behalf of clients. So how are you actually communicating your own personal values to any potential partners to ensure that kind of that there is that match between what they want to achieve and your own agency's purpose. Chip, I wonder if you could begin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's uh, you know when thinking about purpose, there's you know, your the, your why, why you exist, mm-hmm. your purpose, but there's also uh, what and how. Uh, and I think we're big believers that you need to think about all three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's something that we do for our clients, but we also have our own sort of you know why what and how. So our, our purpose at Strawberry Frog is uh, really simple. It's creativity for good. It's really about creating good work, you know, kind of good impacts for our clients and teammates um, and good in society where we can. So so that's great. But, you know, there, there might be other organizations out there, uh, other agencies uh, even, that um, are into sort of good in the world. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's important as our why, but I think what really distinguishes us and what we sort of lead with when we talk to clients is sort of what we do and how we do it. And what we do is that we actually uh, help clients activate their purpose. So mm-hmm. it's not just about having a purpose, it's activating it. And the way we do it is what we call movement thinking. So we basically take the principles of societal movements, successful societal movements, like the, you know, the women's movement, Black Lives Matter. I mean, you guys are, I'm sure, all familiar with some of the different successful societal movements. There are some principles about how they work and how they are able to rally people around a shared cause. 
And uh, we sort of use those to help our clients activate their own purpose. So um, I, I think leading with that and that being our philosophy and what makes us unique, I think it naturally kind of attracts a certain kind of client to us that that's interested in higher purpose and, and actually interested in doing something with it. See, I think that's really interesting the idea that you you help people activate their own mission. It's 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 not really worth anything if you just have them kind of as words on the wall. You actually have to deliver upon what you stand for there. So, Rebecca, then how are you sort of going around ensuring that you're working with the right people and that you are, you know, as Chip mentioned, really upholding their own values? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question, and it makes me sort of cast um, cast my mind back to the early days of Manifesto. So, we always. Um, Jim Bowes, our co-founder, myself, and quite a few of our leadership team and, and um, you know, project teams have all have all had a previous connection to the sectors that we work in. So when Manifesto was set up, we had um, an ambition to be one of the top five agencies for this space. And, and um, we were, I guess, a bit more niche at that point. And you're right that actually it's a space that lots of people are interested in now. And, you know, that's great. The more people who want to work with organisations who are delivering good, you know, you know the better. But we've, I guess for us, um, you know, we, we live those values by being um, just incredibly passionate about the sector that we work in. And we really understand it from the inside out. And I think particularly when I think about our charity clients, when you work in the charity sector, it is something of a vocation. And, you know, my experience in previous lives of working with organisations that, um, you know, that want to work with uh, you know these types of organisations is that there's a sense of um, it kind of feels warm and fluffy for them and it's going to somehow be easier and actually these are incredibly complex organisations you know who have you know way bigger sort of tougher business challenges to overcome than some of the average kind of businesses in the street um, so you know for us we I guess are on the inside of the, of the sector we understand their businesses we understand the challenges they have and you know we 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 try and give back more than we take from the sector i guess you could say you know so we you know we knowledge transfer is a really big part of us you know as an example we run you know free events to help kind of upskill people's knowledge about certain aspects of digital transformation um so so i think for us it's about being really embedded deeply and and um you know just not resting on your laurels that this is a good thing to do but thinking about how can we give back more and more okay well what, what i think is interesting there is that you've both referred back to previous work uh, not in any specifics perhaps but you've sort of mentioned the fact that kind of the proof then is in the pudding so to what extent are you communicating your own agency's values and what you intend to do through previous work that you've done how how much of that uh, communication of your own values is done through pointing to your previous efforts on behalf of clients. Uh, Rebecca, if you want to go first. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, right from the beginning of talking to a potential client, we're very upfront about how we work and what they, what, what will that experience feel like, really try and bring it to life for them. And, you know, look, we're an agile agency and one of our core values is collaboration. And that sounds like a very, you know, mm. friendly, easy, everyone's going to get along type of vibe. And actually, collaboration is tough. It's really mm. difficult and you know it requires you to have honest conversations it requires you to sort of manage disagreement in the room and you know so we take people on a journey about what you know what we expect 
the work to feel like that the delivery and the transformation of that work to feel like and we use other you know other projects and other relationships and partnerships that we have as a way of demonstrating that but we're very clear up front about what we stand for and how we work and we ask people from the get-go to judge us by it we've made our values very clear and easy to understand so that it's very easy for sort of future clients to call us out if they think that we're not delivering on that Nice. So, so it's kind of baking in the, uh, the the pressure on yourselves to actually deliver upon that and not sort of let it slide. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Chip, when you're going to clients, and at what point do you introduce kind of Strawberry Frog's values then? At what point do you say, you know, actually, this is what we stand for and this is how we're going to let that temper our work on your behalf? I mean, usually it's it's immediate. I mean, mm. we're we're not an agency that's for everybody. And typically, uh, when a client either comes to us or we're we're introduced or or however it is we meet, um, that they're usually already interested in some of the sorts of things that we do. Mm. Uh, often, what happens is a client will come to us with a, having developed a higher purpose, uh, but not being clear on what to do with it. That that's a very common ask. So obviously, we lead very quickly with you know sort of our our philosophy, our our values, our overall uh, approach. Uh, you know, which I, I mentioned earlier, we call movement thinking. Mm. Um, and um, because it's very different, I think from uh, you know what they might hear from from other companies, we typically have to jump in and 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 um, like you were saying before, um, use an example so that they understand what we're talking about. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, just to, for, the, for the purpose of this conversation, maybe I can just throw in a quick example. So yeah, no, please do. One, one, one that we use uh, frequently is um, actually with, with a bank that we've worked with for many years. It's a very large bank in the U.S. called SunTrust. And uh, they came to us a number of years ago. This was during the, the great, right after the Great Recession here, mm-hmm. uh, so 2000, or early 2010s. Uh, 2012-14, around there, when they first came to us, they developed this purpose called uh, Lighting the Way to Financial Wellbeing, uh, which sounds great. But one of the issues with purpose is that it's often very lofty. And the issue was like, well, what do we do now? Uh, They were having a lot of employee engagement problems, uh, as many banks do. You know, how do you motivate people to get up and want to come to work every day? Um, and uh, they needed external uh, campaigns that that uh, they they wanted it to be, to be to the purpose, but they weren't sure what to do. So we used movement thinking, as as I mentioned, to, as a lens uh, to put their purpose through. Because you know you can't really join a purpose, but you can join a movement inspired by a purpose. And a lot of what movement thinking has to do with is figuring out what is your enemy out there in in culture in the world? What's the change you want to see in the world? And what stand will you take to achieve it? And uh, I think what what we saw quickly was that in the U.S. at that point, right after the recession, the majority of the population had never recovered. The recovery Mm -hmm. was uneven financially, and there was massive amounts of financial stress and anxiety. So we uh, started a movement uh, called On Up, which stands for Onwards and Upwards, and it, um, it was a stand against financial stress and for helping make America financially confident, making mm-hmm. Americans financially confident. So all of a sudden, that made lighting the way to financial well-being a lot more actionable. Why do I get up and go to work every day? It's to make people more financially confident. And uh, immediately, we could think of programs that the bank could do, uh, things that it could do to help um, its own employees be more financially confident, tools, uh, et cetera. And uh, before you know it, the On Up movement had, I think, 6 million members, um, people who joined it. Um, 
out in the world. It had transformed their internal culture mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and actually helped their business as well. So an example like that, I think, takes talking about purpose and activating it uh, with a movement from something that sounds theoretical to something that's you know, more practical that you can understand in a tangible way. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, you, when you talk about lofty goals, that reminds me of uh, somewhere I used to work, which I can't even decide whether to say the name of the place because I'll have to bleep it out anyway. But the, I'd walk into the office and there would just be th these three words over the doorway, one of which was enhance. And I, was, right. I, I, I mm. want to buy into this mission, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, right. it's, it's very, very hard for me to embody these values because they are so broad and kind of so, there was a lack of a target there. So it's interesting that you did provide kind of a, a very targeted and specific almost um, goal for that mission, which I think is very interesting. Um, yeah. I just wanted then to say, Rebecca, when you're actually talking to clients, how much due diligence can you actually do to make sure that their own kind of the, the mission that they want to achieve, their own purpose? is going to be something that's going to serve their supporters or their service users as well because you know there's some maturity issues within some of the sectors which mean that people still don't really understand the you know the the best way to get the value from the change that they want to deliver so we always have to ask ourselves you know is this something that we can add value to can we can this experience be more than the sum of its parts but I think you know where it has raised some really interesting questions for us in particularly the not-for-profit sector is around, um, you know, there are some medical charities, there are some faith-based charities mm. that at the core of what they do or the core of what they believe may not be wholly um, in alignment with some people's individual values. So, mm. you know, animal testing and medical research, for example, or, you know, some faith-based charities will have some, fair, you know, some fairly strong, if they have a church at the that, you know, centre them, you know, some more conservative beliefs that then perhaps are not wholly in alignment with, with our values. And we've had a couple of instances where we've had to do some real soul searching within the agency about, you know, is it the right thing to do with this, you know, to do this work with this organisation, you know, they're doing amazing outreach, but there's aspects of what they believe in that's not, you know, entirely compatible with our own beliefs. And, and how do we respond to that? And, and it's led to some very, um, yeah, some very sort of difficult discussions and decisions that we've had to make. We've had to just um, take everything into the round and then decide, you know, what the right thing to do is going forward. You know, internally, we always um, give people the choice as to the clients that they work on. So, you know, if they, you know, in that instance, if we still felt actually look, the right thing to do is to affect change from the inside of that organisation rather than just say, actually, we're not going to get involved, then people have a choice as to whether they're going to work with them or not. We'd never mm. force it upon someone. That, see, that's, that's good. And that actually does preempt one of the questions that I'm going to get onto later. Um, Chip, I know that you, you've spoken before about sustainability and how uh, a lot of companies end up either... Oh, shit, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, time stamp for that one. And also, sorry for, the, um, for that distraction there, that somebody was at the door, so I had to go and sort of take the parcel in. Okay, cool. Don't worry. <laughs> Perfect. My daughter's just been knocking on the door, Dad, I've just been ignoring her. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'll start that question again then. So... 
Chip, I know that you've spoken before about sustainability as a um, as a topic and this idea that a lot of companies in particular end up over-promising and under-delivering. So mm-hmm. is that something that when you talk to a company about their mission, that's something that you are wary of, the fact that they are, they can often over-promise and yet under-deliver on actually delivering upon their purpose? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's often just, it, it's the entire point of the conversation that we're having very frequently. Um, so uh, my my uh, business partner, Scott Goodson, and I, who's the founder and the CEO of our company, uh, Scott and I just wrote a book called Activate Brand Purpose, uh, Harnessing the Power of Movements to Transform Your Company. And uh, the whole reason that we wrote the book was the the clients were coming to us, and, and I sort of mentioned it before, saying, we have a purpose, we want to live our purpose, but it's, we just... We don't know how to act on it. Um, as I said, purpose is naturally lofty. So very frequently companies will come to us and, and with themselves complaining that, you know, we want to live our purpose more fully, but um, we're trying to figure out how. So uh, helping a company sort of mat, put a match between the intention behind their purpose and their actual behavior is um, is something that often the programs that we develop for clients, that's the whole purpose of them is to, to sort of close that gap between intention and behavior. And we sort of do it two ways. We mm-hmm. have what we call movement outside, which is for external stakeholders. Um, could involve, you know, something like advertising or digital experiences or anything that would uh, connect with um, outside stakeholders. But we also have movement inside, which is really about internal stakeholders, you know, notably, usually um, employees and associates of the company. So, um, and, and the whole idea, as I said, is to sort of help clients make sure that they don't have a gap between what they're promising and their purpose and their actual behavior in the world. And I suppose the difficult question there, and I'm going to stay with you, Chip, just for a second, is what happens when there is a mismatch between what you're advocating for a potential client to do and what they are willing to do? How do you deal with that when there is a sort of clash of purpose or there's, you know, you get the impression that one side is investing more fully in it than the other? Um, yeah, as I said, I mean, we typically don't have that problem just mm-hmm. because the reason that clients come to us is because they do want to activate their purpose. <laughs> That's good. It's kind of our whole value proposition. It's why you would, you would call on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, so we, we just, um, you know, fortunately we do, we do not run into that problem too frequently. That is good. Um, it's, it's something that when we, because this is effectively the second podcast on purpose that we've recorded for the drum network this year. Yeah. And earlier, everyone's minds were so dominated by the um, by the pandemic that the the purpose that everyone sort of fell back on was ensuring that their employees were being you know taken care of and that they had that the wider company goals did align with their employees, which was a very easy one to deliver upon. But when you're working with clients, often you know Rebecca, as you mentioned, it's about kind of managing that relationship. Mm. So it's sort of I wonder if Rebecca, you have um, any best practice then for ensuring that you are aligned with the other with your potential clients values all the way through the process rather than just as a thing to begin with yeah i mean i think you know we spend a lot of time at the beginning um of uh you know any dialogue and any relationship really figuring out what it is that they want to achieve and why they want to achieve it and really getting under the skin of you know where does this change sit within the bigger part of their strategy and their you know their roadmap going forward and you know we create um, you know, a number of, you know, artifacts or visions that, that then become our kind of North Star, something that we go back to. 
So I think, you know, like Chip, you know, people come to us because they, they want our help. And they know that we're the experts in this field and that we can do it better than they can. So we don't have too many, too many conflicts in that space. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when we're looking, I, I guess, the, you know, to Chip's point about how do you make something tangible, the translation of that purpose, you know, for our purpose is to enable organisations change the world for the better. The material manifestation of that is through the work that we both, mm-hmm. you know, that we co-create. So, you know, we're very upfront with organisations and within the context of sort of digital experience design, we take a very user-centred approach. And sometimes that sounds like it should be, you know, well, of course, why wouldn't you take a user-centred approach? But actually, that is quite revelationary for, you know, (laughs) lots of organisations who, you know, are used to having certain you know, functions or capabilities represented in a way that actually, you know, isn't isn't user friendly. So if we get conflict, it's often more along that kind of space about what what does the end experience going to feel like? What is it going to look like? Who is it serving? But we always bring it back to, you know, that initial vision. And, you know, we're very research led. So, you know, we go out and we will, you know, start with a hypothesis and we will look to prove or disprove that hypothesis. Um, but, you know, for us, it, we just really value honest conversation. So, you know, where, um, you know, where there have been occasions where something's happened further along the line, where perhaps, you know, there's been some behaviours that are not in alignment with the way that we thought the project would run or something's kind of surfaced, it doesn't feel quite right. We just have the conversation. We're not scared to have the conversation. We're not scared to make the decision that's right at that point, which may not have been the decision that we would have made, you know, some months before or some months ahead. I think, yeah, I think you've just got to be back really clear about, you know, where they're going, how are you going to help them get there and, you know, agree on a set of values and behaviours that, you know, that you're both going to demonstrate on that journey. And we've spoken there about the you know how you communicate your values externally and to clients mm. and ensure that they're sort of being carried with you something that i i'd like well in fact that i know our audience would really appreciate is a look at how you're bringing your employees and the members of your team with you then because it's very easy to have a purpose and communicate that when you're starting out as a small team when you're you know one or two yeah. people around a kitchen table but as you grow how are you ensuring that every employee is is buying into the mission effectively and is communicating that when they go off and talk to clients themselves. So Chip, if we could begin with you there, I know you touched upon this before in terms of actually making sure that the team is bought in. How do you go sure. about doing that from the start? Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I, I mentioned that our, our philosophy is that is uh, sort of activating purpose with movement thinking. So we're kind of known, at least uh, in a lot of the world, as, as sort of the movement agency. So, uh, you know, I think it starts with hiring for us is that I think people who are attracted to that kind of uh, um, a company are, are really the only people who are, you know, that interested in interviewing or, or sort of being involved with us. And, and obviously we screen for that. So, so we hire for a, a interest in it first and foremost. Uh, but then I think sort of the movement thinking as a philosophy and as a process and an approach is part of our onboarding. You know, it, it's sort of the training that we do with anybody who starts uh, at the company. Uh, it's built into sort of our review process. Uh, and uh, I just, so I think making sure that people both understand it, are engaged in it, and, um, and, and I think importantly, know what to do with it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, know how to use our tools and our process to actually use movement thinking um, to to help clients. So, so it's it's really uh, you know it's not that mysterious, uh, but it's something that we we spend a lot of time and effort making sure that all of our employees are engaged with. Can I just say that you mentioned um, the, kind of that review process? So, mm-hmm. whose responsibility is it internally to to make sure that kind of that that oh. everybody's aligned? Yeah. Uh, well, we have a, a lovely lady who is uh, our sort of, uh, her title is chief of staff in the company, but um, basically she handles a lot of issues around uh, employee engagement. Um, and she uh, sort of runs the review process, which is uh, we have a technology that um, we've partnered with a company um, called Lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E. I don't know if you've heard of it, but anyway, it is a... Um, a technology where uh, managers and reviewers and employees can all sort of be in the same, um, you know, set of documents and tools as they go through the re- review process. So for us, it's, uh, you know, it's highly personal and interpersonal, but uh, mm-hmm. the nice thing is that it is automated so that everyone kind of gets the same um, sort of set of criteria. Everybody can uh, look at it together. We're all on the same page. So that, that's sort of how we run it. That is good. And Rebecca, how does it work uh, at Manifesto? How are you actually ensuring that everybody's sort of brought along on the same ride? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about something that you said, Chris, I think it was, I've worked in organisations where, um, you know, you're surrounded by the values everywhere you look, you know, they're on every bit of sort of company comms, but yet you don't really see it in action around you. Or well, sometimes you see the exact opposite. Exactly. Or they're so clever or people have tried to be so clever in the construction of those values that, you know, everyone's a bit confused as to what they really mean. Um, and I think it's really tempting to go really big with them. And I think, you know, for us, when we came up with our values, we're really trying to come up with some, um, you know, with a smaller list as possible that encompasses encompasses as much of the kind of behaviors and the um the how that we do things um in, you know, in the broadest sort of church if you like so i do think about this often we are growing really quickly we're scaling quickly we've grown a lot in in lockdown and I, and i think that before lockdown lots of people would have experienced those values um you know almost on a sort of subconscious level through the way that we would have worked together in person i think that's slightly harder to achieve um remotely but you know from from the outset with staff when we um write role profiles or job descriptions we always sort of describe what do what do our values look like what would we expect um our values to look like in this in this role so people are very clear from the beginning about the what are they here to do and how are they and how are they how are they going to do it and you know which ultimately rise up rolls up to the why why are they here Mm -hmm. in the first instance so um and, and then I guess we, you know, they're the same values that we use when we talk to clients and, you know, we do some sort of sense checking of things, um, yeah. you know, so when we hit problems or when we've got something big to deliver, you know, we sort of challenge ourselves to think, you know, how can we bring in some more innovative thinking into here? Are we being as open to change as we, you know, as, as we should be here? You know, what what's the right level of excellence that we should be aiming for in this work? You know, we, they, we do, we don't have a system that's quite as formal as what Chips described. Mm. You know, people have OKRs and we have regular 
conversations and regular review points and you know we, we would definitely talk to people about the how um but I think really it's you know we have a culture of just really living them you know mm. and and call and calling it out if 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 we don't see it so that they're definitely things that we call upon in conversation but but I suppose they feel part of our day-to-day they're not some kind of abstract words on the wall or you know something that you don't see and feel around you but it's definitely a challenge for us you know one of the challenges that we've hit recently is that we've um you know we've we've restructured um our sort of organization design and we now have sort of we call them pods or but like small business units Mm. and so within that model you start to get kind of some subcultures coming in and so really having to make sure that you're very clear about what you know what you expect from people so that that's interpreted you know in the same way by all of those people because the risk there is a risk now of course that it could be interpreted in slightly different ways Mm. or you have you know um you know one sort of one culture has a preference for one thing and another another so it's it, it i don't think you can rest on your laurels for sure it has to be part of your ongoing dialogue yeah you have to make sure that you're kind of that you're not getting creep in terms of what people think the purpose means versus what it actually is anchored to within the company yeah i think that's absolutely right and i, and I do think you know i have you know obviously seen to lots of organizations work with lots of organizations i think with values, less is more. People can only hold so many in their head. So I think better that you're really clear on three of them and that they're three that, ever, that really resonate with your culture and your purpose than go for kind of six clever ones and everyone be constantly scratching their heads and saying, what was the fifth one? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, can't absolutely. quite remember. Yeah. So from, from the sounds of it, both of you are advocating for accountability, I think, in terms of how you actually go about communicating those missions, whether the chip, that's because people come to you directly because they know what they want to achieve, or Rebecca, that's because you, you know, you, as you said, you can't rest on your laurels. Mm-hmm. So we're just over half an hour into this, and I want to keep in as much as I possibly can. As a penultimate question, I wondered, Chip, do you have any practical advice, one piece of practical advice that you'd give to anybody who's looking to really ensure that they either transition their company back to having one core or even a couple of core values and a mission and a purpose? Uh, or, you know, is there something that you'd just like to summarize on this from something you've previously said? Uh, yeah, so I guess the one piece of advice, uh, because it, it, it forces you to ask a lot of important questions, is um, what's what's your enemy? What are you against in the world? And the, the reason that's such a telling question, and 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 and, and but when I say that, I is I don't mean your biggest competitor. I mean out in the world, in society, in the culture, in people's lives. What what is it that you rail against as a as a company, as a brand? And uh, I feel like whenever you're forced to ask that question and think hard about it, it starts to make you uh, say, well, what's the, you know, what, 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 what wrong needs to be made right in the world uh, that our organization can actually uh, accomplish? Mm-hmm. Uh, what stand do, would we want to take to make that wrong right? Um, so so if, if people can identify their enemy, I find it's like the first step in sort of the purpose journey and, and purpose in a way that you can actually do something with it as opposed to it just being a bunch of nice words up on the on the wall. 
So uh, that that'd probably be my advice. If it was one thing, one, one question people could ask, it would be, what's your enemy? That's really nice and really succinct. I think that's a really nice way of going about it. And Rebecca, then what's what would be your kind of one central tenet that you would, would like to communicate to people who are listening? I think you have to... Oh. Oh, sorry, Chris, I'm going to pause because I can't quite decide which... Oh, no, what, absolutely, what, yeah. ...what I'm okay. going to say. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm torn and you can decide what you keep in. I think there's an element of co-creation, but I think you, you could precede that with, you know, as your business grows, um, mm. you know, you're, you may well find that your purpose changes a little bit. You may find that your values change as you, you know, as the, as the world around you changes. So I don't think... It goes back to sort of not resting on your laurels. Um, you, I think we've certainly gone through an exercise fairly recently where there was one value that actually was missing from our set that we are now considering introducing that has become much more relevant as we've got bigger. And, you know, and we need to devolve a lot more kind of decision making down to people. So I don't think you can say, well, look, I've, I've created these list of values um, and that's it forever. And I think if you need to revisit, mm-hmm. really, you know, involve your staff, involve your clients, get feedback from them, because, you know, we we all have slightly different views of the world, slightly different experiences, and you'll get a much more authentic set of values if you invite other opinion into it. Nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to have a conversation here. Despite my attempts to drag us off topic by talking about my previous jobs, you both managed to keep me very much on topic and we've delivered some very practical advice there to anybody who's listening. But to the Drum Network's audience and to the Drum's audience more widely who might like to pick either of your brains around this, where would be the best place for them to reach out and find you? Oh, probably just email me. And it's really simple. My company's called Strawberry Frog, one word. Strawberry like the fruit, frog like the animal. So mm-hmm. it's chip, C-H-I-P, at strawberryfrog, one word, dot com. Fantastic. And Rebecca? Yeah, I'm going to follow suit with chip. E- email is good. Um, I'm rebecca.hull, H-U-L-L, at manifesto.co.uk. Um, hull like the place. Um, I mean, Kate, you can occasionally find me at LinkedIn. I'm not, I'm not, I don't hang around there too often. Um, but if not, yeah, if not, if you can't remember my email, then look for us at manifesto.co.uk and, um, send me a note through there. Um, it'd be great to speak to anyone. Really happy to share our experiences, um, and to, to hook up. We're all about the connection at Manifesto. So yeah, get in touch if we can be of help. Perfect. Well, Chip, Rebecca, thank you so much for that. I know that the audience is going to have really appreciated those practical insights into how they can go about refocusing on their own purposes over the next couple of months. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for inviting us.